Want access to richer content and exclusive analysis on the business of sport? Sports Pro Plus is used by experts across the industry to make informed decisions, with two membership tiers offering access to original content, exclusive reports, and a suite of business intelligence tools. Become a member today at sportspromedia.com forward slash subscribe and use the code FCPOD10. That's FCPOD10 at checkout for a 10% discount. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football. Hello and welcome to the Football Co. Business Podcast. The podcast where we get to talk to the most innovative people working football, media, brand and marketing. On today's show, we're talking to Michael Long, Editorial Director at Media and Events Business Sports Pro. Now we're talking to Michael about the recently released Sports Pro 50 Most Marketable Athletes List, otherwise known as 50MM. 50MM is in its 14th year now, this year producing collaboration with Northstar. The list considers the dynamic nature of athletes' marketability in the digital age, applying an advanced science that goes beyond vanity metrics to measure sports stars offer the most value to brands today, whether that's Messi in MLS or the emerging brand strength of female players. Michael, welcome to the show. Cheers, Paul. Good to be here. That was quite a long intro. Um, the list in itself is is 50 names long, but I appreciate it's um, there's a lot that goes into it. Can you kind of give us a bit of a, a backstory kind of like of where we are and what this list actually is? Because it's, it's not just here are 50 popular athletes, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I can certainly do my best to. Um, yeah, we've been doing this at Sports Row for 14 years. Um, first list was it kind of started life in 2010 really is a conversation piece and it's evolved over time as athlete marketing has, you know, with the rise of social media and all the other kind of trends that underpin sports marketing generally. So it's really evolved over that 14 years. Um, But really I can, having been involved in 12 of those lists personally, I I can safely say that I think this is our most kind of comprehensive assessment of athlete marketability on a global level to date. So um, as I said, the the, the complexion of the list, the, the methodology involved in putting it all together has massively evolved over time. And as you say, you know, this isn't a popularity contest. It's never been about that or vanity metrics and things like that. Originally, we focused on marketing potential and, and value for money over three years. So back in, I think, 2012, uh, 2013, we had Neymar as number one, two years running uh, with all the hype that was surrounding him about his potential move to Europe and ultimately to Barcelona. So that was a, a huge talking point at the time, clearly a very marketable star in his native Brazil, and there was a lot of um, speculation swelling about him. So we had him uh, as, as number one. But over time, really, the list has become uh, come, kind of more data-led, more more scientific, as our understanding of athlete marketability has, has kind of grown and developed and become really more sophisticated. And as the industry at large has kind of come to market with more measurement tools that, and, and social media analytics and all of this other stuff that goes on, social listening, et cetera. And we try to incorporate you know, that that more scientific approach to this rather than really going on informed guesswork and, and kind of informed opinion and things as we previously did in the past. So we've worked with various data par- partners and providers over the years and looked to aggregate a lot of the data that they provide. Um, and this year, as you say, we're working with a company called North Star Solutions Group who are based out of the US. Um, and they have really done a fantastic job of just collating a huge wealth of data uh, from various uh, sources, as well as putting together their own kind of research, which we'll come on to, uh, that fed into this ranking this year. So really, really and truly, this is a pretty comprehensive, uh, robust methodology that's gone into this. 
a really interesting model that tries to or attempts to as, as best as possible really take into account um i guess all of the attributes that you know define athlete marketability and the marketability of individual sports stars these days and really that breaks down across uh, and i won't go into too much kind of in-depth detail at this stage but breaks down across three key scoring pillars and they are athlete brand strength so that's really speaking to the personal attributes of the individual their presentation you know how they come across in the media all of that type of stuff uh total addressable market which is more to do with uh you know their the exposure of the athlete and their sports uh, how global it is the visibility of it the media reach and engagement around it and then the economic side of things which is more around social um environmental uh, advocacy and activism and things like that um as well as the the kind of net worth and market value of the athlete as well so uh for the benefit of listeners the evaluation period for this year runs from june 2022 to august 2023 and really ourselves and northstar took a, a kind of product um category or market research approach to this and really we were in the interest of making this as inclusive and comprehensive as possible we we attempted to map out the entire sports ecosystem initially to really work out okay what who are the athletes that should be under consideration for this you know it's not all football players of course it's across all sports globally what does that look like we eventually got that to a, a point you know when you look at the top ranked stars and the top leagues across various sports we got that to around 1000 athletes that would really be in consideration for a top 50 global list and they they were spread across around 174 different sports I say about 174, it was 174. Um, and we whittled down that number, uh, around 1,000, down to about 125. So we've got this extended list of 125. From there, we um, did a more, uh, we obviously uh, basing this on, on more quantitative traditional metrics, uh, social following, their earnings, their total addressable market, that type of stuff. Um, and then we added in a layer of additional kind of analysis for the first time this year of uh, more qualitative analysis, building in a kind of social media ethnography, uh, looking at kind of triple bottom line, people, planet, profit, what what causes are the athletes talking about? What are their values? What's their purpose and mission and things like that? So, and really that that comes down to just manual lifting, looking into these athletes and their backstories. And that brings a really interesting dimension to it because when you talk about um, sports marketing and uh, athlete marketing in particular, it's really about storytelling and, and telling the personal stories of each of these individuals. Um, and so when you start boiling it down to that level, that's where it gets really quite interesting. To put it bluntly, that's a lot of data to go through. There's a lot of athletes, a lot of data, must have taken ages. One thing mean, you mentioned just there, there is 174 different sports that you said um, that was represented in this. When we look at the 50, it was um, the obvious thing is that 22 of the 50 athletes are footballers. When it comes to the top 10, there's four of them, and Messi tops the list at number one. So football is obviously the most dominant. I mean, we will put down in the show notes details on how to see the list itself, the top 10, all this kind of stuff to add a bit more context. I don't want to run through the entire 50 because that would take a while, but just to give the audience an idea of who we've got, from top to bottom in the top 10, there is, we have obviously um, Lionel Messi at the top, uh, following his MLS move to um, into Miami, there's LeBron James, Alex Morgan, uh, Megan Rapino, Michaela Schifrin, Lewis Hamilton, Simone Biles, Kylian Mbappe, and number 10, there's a lot of strong names in that list. Obviously, this is kind of like the whole reason the list exists. But why do you think football is so dominant in there or so dominant in the 50? Yeah, I think um, you know football is the most popular sport on the planet, isn't it? It's the most global, the most visible, uh, the most covered sport in the media, the most talked about. I think in any given year, you could have a top 50 list that is largely dominated by footballers. 
So there's that. And when we talk about total addressable market and the marketability of a sport, there is nothing that supersedes football on a global level. Uh, it resonates uh, in, in every single market on the planet. And ultimately, it's huge on the men's side, hugely well-established as a commercial operation on the men's side, and it's rapidly growing on the women's side and increasingly developing, um, which we'll come on to shortly. But also in the context of this particular year, just a reminder, the evaluation period, the summer of 2022 to summer 2023, for the first time ever, I think, um, encompassed two World Cups, a men's World Cup in Qatar at the end of last year, and then the, the, the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand this summer. So that invariably has given a bump to all of the footballers through this evaluation period as well. Of course. I mean, we say all the footballers, the biggest, the one who's on top of this list is Messi. Regarding all the specific kind of the, the way that the data was collected and what was looked at, was there anything you think that specifically put Messi on top? Oh, he featured at number one uh, a few years ago, I think three years ago. Um, again, he, he's just a generational talent, isn't he? He's possibly the greatest of all time in in, as I said, the world's most popular sport. Um, he's, you know, for many people, arguably the best player that's ever lived. So, you know, that, that in itself is enough to put him in the consideration for number one in any given year. Um, but particularly with this year, he ranks particularly high in a number of areas, according to our models. As I mentioned, total addressable market being one of those three key pillars that we were they're kind of, and they're each weighted slightly differently, uh, according to our model. Um, but that was one of the key pillars that we scored each athlete against. And that encompasses things like their overall reach, the attention growth that they're seeing, audience engagement, the awareness that exists around their sponsors, their sport and their team. In all of those areas, Messi excels very high. You know, he's in the top kind of one or two percent of of all of those. From an economic perspective, you know, his market value, his estimated worth uh, rank him very highly but also his public support for kind of environmental and social causes that he's not necessarily well known for necessarily, but, you know, a UNICEF ambassador, he's got the Leo Messi uh, Foundation, he supports other environmental initiatives and things like that. So that's worked in his favour. And again, we'll probably come on to it, but that, that kind of cause element is really important for brands these days, I think, when they're aligning with athletes. So, and then something I haven't said is, you know, his on-pitch performances, let's face it, he, you know, he led Argentina almost single-handedly to the to World Cup glory. He was the face of the tournament, and there was a huge amount of speculation talk around him through the through the summer months um, around where where he was going to move ultimately to Miami and MLS, as you mentioned. Um, and suddenly, you've got the US market, you know, the biggest sports business market on the planet, suddenly awakened uh, to to the, the star power, the allure of of Lionel Messi. You know, um, I think many Americans would have been aware of of this guy. Obviously, football's not or soccer isn't the most popular sport in that market necessarily. Um, but suddenly, they they when he's on their turf, I think they they've suddenly seen the star power that he has and the draw that he is, and ultimately, that move in itself has put Messi's club career back in the spotlight. You know, there's a risk of him, you know, or a danger of his club career kind of petering out in Paris and him become, not not kind of drifting into irrelevance by any stretch. But he was he wasn't exactly you know um, kind of the most talked about uh, player even in Paris because of Mbappe perhaps, but um. And, he, and, you know, through this particular summer as well, this evaluation period, all the talk around Saudi, all of um, Messi's peers and some of the top European players moving out to Saudi Arabia. And I, he really bucked that trend and, and moved out to, as I said, the, the biggest sports business market on the planet and, and a fast growing league like MLS and ultimately a market that will be hosting a World Cup in three years time where there's a, a clear trajectory towards that as well. So I think all of these factors together, you know, Messi's head and shoulders above. From what I've seen of Messi into Miami, 
he's watched by the other people in that list, isn't he? He's in the US and there is the likes of, um, I'll give an example, like LeBron. LeBron turns up at Messi games. All the other stars in sports turn up at Messi's games when he's in town. This just seems like the perfect place for him to truly kind of exploit brand Messi is in the US right now, whether that's through the Apple deal or the Adidas deal. It seems to be a right place, right time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's that courtside culture, that sports and entertainment culture that we've seen in the NBA, see in the NFL, um, in, in the States more so than anywhere else. And I think, you know, as you say, he's rubbing shoulders now with Beckham and, and uh, you know, other kind of past and present greats of football. But, you know, that, that kind of moves him into a different dimension almost, I think, that we haven't really seen around Messi and certainly didn't see in, in the kind of when he was at Barcelona so much. Um, but really, I think he has the the potential to have a Beckham-like kind of impact, commercial impact on on MLS in the year, you know, however long he sticks around in the league, uh, building up to the next World Cup for sure, um, which could ultimately be a swan song. You know, this could st- keep him keep him going for another few years and he could st- feature that tournament having so many people saying, you know, that Qatar could be his his final act. But, and ultimately we've seen that commercial bump in in tangible ways. You know, the all MF- MLS clubs, I think, when Messi is in town, right, uh, you know, hike the price of their tickets. Uh, and it's not just in Miami. And we've seen the bump in subscribers that Apple have seen as the the new broadcast partner of MLS as well off the back of signing signing Messi. So all of those factors, you know, yeah, it's um it's a really interesting dynamic to see Messi in America. So kind of match made in kind of marketing heaven, I think. Do you think he's also benefited very much from this whole I mean, apart from Real Madrid fans, let's say, he tends to be very well liked. Apart from you know, obviously there are fans, football fans who passionate Ronaldo fans and their dislike for Messi is just kind of the opposite of their love for Ronaldo. But generally, he's a very kind of well-liked player, which must improve his marketability as well, I'd assume. Yeah, I imagine so. Again, you know, as we say this in a popularity contest, this list by any stretch, but I think if you are popular, it certainly helps. And he he just transcends, he, he's always transcended Barcelona, he's transcended La Liga, he's transcended um, football, he transcends all of those you know, ways in which you might try and define or categorize a, an athlete and he's, he transcends sport ultimately. And uh, I think, yeah, going back to my original point, he's a, a kind of generational talent. He's got a lot of admirers. I don't think we'll see another player like him, to be honest. So yeah, I think all works in his favor from a marketing perspective. One, I mean, there are lots of interesting points, but one interesting climber, I guess, is um, is Harry Kane. So in the list, Kane is the the largest climber going up Something like the top of the pops go up twenty seven places to twenty two. Do you think what makes Harry Kane such a strong talent? Is it because he kind of represents something that's that isn't Ronaldo and isn't Neymar? He's not. He's not Hollywood. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, you know, he is. He's Mister Bankable, Mister Relatable. He's a he's a safe bet, isn't he? Really. Let's let's face it. Some might describe him as vanilla and bland. You know that because he's not that, as you say, Hollywood kind of star, but. Certain brands like that. I think, um, you know, look at his sketches deal. You know, that I think yeah, if there was a brand that you would ever associate Harry Kane with, and that kind of, you know, I think sketches would be, would be up there, albeit it's a pretty unique one, a lifetime deal, sketches getting into football in that way. But I think, yeah, as the, as the England captain, you know, at the top of his game, again, a lot of swirling speculation around would he stay, would he go uh, at Spurs, and ultimately he's wound up at, you know, one of the biggest clubs in Europe and and has hit hit the ground running for sure. You know, again, all of those factors. Yeah, I think it works in Harry Kane's favour. I think the, the the badge of England captain goes a long way. Kane has, despite staying in Europe, he's always kind of like 
caught it a pill in the US, hasn't he? He's a big NFL fan and as you know, often seen with NFL stars. Would that I mean one necessarily being a metric in the analysis that you that you've done here or North Star have done here? Do you think that helps as well, having that kind of like appeal across Europe and the US for someone like like Harry Kane does? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um you know, if you can if you can have a leg in 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 America and 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 one in in global markets as well, yeah, absolutely is going to um, boost your appeal. As I said, the, you know, the Americas are just its own unique beast from a sports business and sports marketing perspective. So, yeah, absolutely would only work in his favour. And who knows, he may be one that winds up in in MLS in future years, and you know, has his own kind of impact in the same way previous players like a like a Rooney, like a Ibrahimovic, like a you know Gareth Bale, they they've all been there, done that, and had had you know their own influence and impact in their own ways. So Harry Kane fits that mold, and as you say, if his, if his personal interests lie in American sport as well, that only helps. Yeah, we, we wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised. Uh, going on to the women's side of things, I mean, you mentioned there at the beginning that we had this kind of like unique situation where there was two World Cups, one of them being the Women's World Cup most recently, the most popular, the biggest Women's World Cup ever. That has seen the likes of um, Alex Morgan and Mega Rapino both in the top 10, despite the US Women's National Team not having the best World Cup. Um, elsewhere, there's Lucy Bronze at 15, Leah Williams at 17. Below them, Beth Mead, Alexia Patelis, Mappy Leon, Sam Kerr. There's a lot. While women's football has obviously seen a surge in these recent years, why do you think so many are high up compared to athletes in arguably more visible sports or competitions? Yeah, so there's a few kind of factors that go into this. I think there's the broader, the macro picture is, is as you say, the, the the women's game, the wider women's game is on an upward commercial trajectory. We're seeing more exposure, bigger sponsorship and media rights deals, greater investment across the board, pretty much in all of the, the leading international and domestic leagues and the Women's Champions League competitions like that. So there's that, which gives them the platform, a, a bigger platform than, than female footballers have ever had. In the context of the Women's World Cup, obviously happening this summer, you know that broke all manner of records. You look at the numbers from a you know, attendance perspective, a viewership perspective, commercial sponsorship, um, merchandise sales perspective. It was it, it raised the bar again, and um, it was the, the biggest um, Women's World Cup on on record. Um, but in terms of the context of our model for assessing each of these athletes and their marketability, we actually built in. A kind of additional element across two of those pillars that I mentioned, um, the athlete brand strength and total addressable market um, pillars that really accounted for growth and momentum. Um, because, you know, at any given moment, there are, yes, women's sport is growing, but it's, it's kind of an uneven landscape. Not all sports are growing at the same time. You know, tennis probably leads the way as the, you know, the most commercially developed women's sports property is the WTA. And, you know, we've seen that year after year and the highest paid female athletes on the planet are almost always female, uh, almost tennis players, you know, with Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka and et cetera, et cetera. And that, so we've seen that, but actually women's football is, is really on that rapid rise. And that's where all the talk has been in a World Cup year. Um, and ultimately that momentum score, that growth score that we've added to those two pillars has led to a bump in for all for, uh, female athletes, but particularly footballers. So that's kind of a bit of an explanation for why there are so many this year in the top 50 and the extended list of one, two, five. We've, we've talked to a few people involved in women's sport or women's football specifically. Um, we had uh, Nora Hendrickson for Media Monks on quite early in the first, um, first season of the podcast. 
And one thing that always comes up when we're discussing women's sport or women's football is this um, is the cause. And sometimes that's on purpose because these players that care about a particular cause, they want to use their platform to elevate it. Sometimes it just kind of seems intrinsic to being a woman in sports in that there's always there's a fight to be a successful woman in, in football anyway. It just kind of goes with the territory. Do you think that is this kind of what's given maybe uh, female footballers the edge over some other athletes in that that marketability and the brand's desire to kind of be associated with with a cause and with these like, kind of like authentic things makes a big difference? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, you, you mentioned the word authentic there. Authenticity was absolutely a part of the you know, the assessment here, and you can you can define that in many different ways and and things. But authenticity, but is hugely important. Um, but also, an individual athlete's purpose, mission, and values is has been accounted for in our model as well. So, um, and that definitely is a, a reflection of where we're at today in in twenty twenty three. Um, just generally in society, but also in this sports marketing world. And as you say, I think a lot of more so than in the men's game, a lot of female players are using their platform to really be vocal and active on various social issues and, and causes. And you know, we got Megan Rapino up there in the in the top five uh, this year, albeit she's you know just retiring. Um, but during the evaluation period, she was very active and very vocal around issues like gender equality, equal pay. You know, very much driving that case forward against U.S. soccer, um, and also diversity and inclusion within the uh, within the game and the wider world of sport. And I think that that kind of marries up with the fact that more brands nowadays who are investing in sport are, uh, or or perhaps not investing in sport, are, are kind of more comfortable now taking a stance. I think it's more accepted. Um, it's not seen quite as um, polarizing. Certain subjects aren't so taboo anymore. Um, and they're more than happy to talk up their own values and, and really take a stance rather than sitting on the fence and, and staying silent or in, in, in a lot of cases. Um, and really, there's growing evidence, I think, across the board that there are brand building and business development benefits um, associated with speaking out on certain causes. You know, Gen Z gravitate towards it. The people want, they, they don't want vanilla and, and shades of grey, uh, um, shades of beige. They want to know what you stand for. And they will they'll vote for that with their wallets, you know, ultimately. And, you know, we're talking about marketability in the sense of driving consumer purchasing decisions, then backing a cause and and really resonating with a, a certain target audience. You know, that's one way of, of of doing it. So yeah, ultimately these brands are really seeking kind of authentic ambassadors who align with their values, offer a platform to help amplify those values. And ultimately female footballers fit the bill and they walk the talk more so than probably any other uh, kind of category of athlete in, in the sports business. But obviously, you know, having said that, brands really now need to put their money where their mouth is and start investing in these individual athletes and in their leagues, their domestic leagues. You know, it can't always be about a kind of four-year jamboree like the Olympics or the World Cup. Is That, that investment's got to distill down to the, through the leagues, through the domestic teams, through to the gar- grassroots game. Because I think that's where, you know, you build that local fandom and, and these athletes really start to to kind of resonate and develop their own personal brands at, at that level. Um, and that's what's going to sustain the game long-term. So yeah, really interesting one. I think it's a, it's a kind of snapshot of a moment in time to consider these, these female athletes, these female footballers um, in that context. Um, and, you know, hopefully that goes some way to explaining why there's so many in this top 50 global list. Yeah. I think we've always said something similar when we speak to brands. It's very much the message of uh, don't be a spectator, be a supporter. And that needs to kind of like come through now and what they're doing with, with, with back in women's football and the athletes, I mean, the World Cup 
was almost like the perfect example, wasn't it? It was a perfect example of of success and what these athletes can do. And then literally just after the closing whistle, there was a perfect example of kind of why there's still much, much more to do. So yeah, it seems to be, it seems to be a kind of the, the right time. Um, all this considered, all this, all this said, one surprising placement in the list was Sam Kerr, who's down at 47. For perspective, she's one place below um, Barcelona's Mappy Leon and one place above uh, the freestyle skier Eileen Gu, who I'll be honest, I'm not too familiar with myself. Why was Sam Kerr kind of maybe lower than many people would expect in the list? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think when we kind of ran the model and, you know, we had come, grown comfortable with the model that we had and the weightings that we had across the three pillars and each of the scores that kind of made up each of those those pillars, uh, you run the model and it comes back and they, invariably there are some surprises that it throws up and you're like, oh, you start digging into the data and you're like, oh, why, well, you know, why has that happened then? Because um, as you said, you know, Sam Kerr was the face of a home World Cup, uh, the biggest World Cup, Women's World Cup on, on record. Um, she's the first woman to uh, appear on the cover of EA Sports FIFA video game, which is hugely popular, you know, and that was in her home market. But I think with Sam Kerr, when you when you actually look into it, she's she's a bit of a kind of reluctant celebrity. I think um, she doesn't call the limelight like a you know some other some of her contemporaries do, and so I think while she you know has that platform, she has that kind of total addressable market. We talk about a huge amount of reach and. And things. I think engagement on social media and how she you know resonates with Gen Z audiences and things like that just didn't didn't quite match up to what you might expect. So that was one area. But I think the caveat with all of this is ultimately she's number forty seven. You know she's she's still among the top fifty most globally marketable athletes on the planet. And I think that's not insignificant here when you look at some of those other names that aren't in the top fifty. Um, so I think that's this. You know. It's not uh, necessarily a statement on the, her, her lack of marketability. I think there's just when you when you come up with a ranking like this and a model, invariably there are going to be some some surprises. No, definitely. I mean, you mentioned other athletes, some that aren't on this, some that are on kind of the extended list. One of the ones that stood out actually was Harland was relatively low. I mean, he's yeah, he's um, emerging in the Premier League. He was still quite recent when this list was getting drawn up. Jude Bellingham could not be having a much better time than he's having right at the moment at Real Madrid. He seems incredibly marketable and is um, is absent from the 50. When you do this, you must always be looking ahead, I guess, to next year and go, well, what's going to change? And the moment it comes out, you're probably still looking at it and going, oh, those players, they, you know, they'll be there next year or maybe we'll have a new number one. Where do you think we're going to be when we kind of maybe revisit this in 12 months' time? Do you think we'll have a new number one? Not sure because of the enduring power of uh, brand Messi. It's difficult to say uh, in kind of any given year in the last kind of 10 years, he could have e- easily been number one. I think everyone would have accepted that. As I said, you know, in years gone by, we looked at potential more so. And so it was it was certainly more of a forecast for the future. So I think, you know, uh, yeah, whether it's Haaland or Bellingham or any of the younger, young, younger stars coming through in any sport, you know, that was where we were looking to identify uh, names for, for the list. And but this is really a snapshot of where we're at now and the previous, you know, going back to June 2022. So Bellingham, you know, yes, he was, uh, you know, having moved from Birmingham to Borussia Dortmund and clearly a, a fantastic talent. You know, he wasn't quite on the level that he is now during that evaluation period. And actually, I don't think anyone would have foreseen him hitting it off in, in Madrid quite in the same way he has. So I, I would urge your listeners to to kind of go to our uh, website 50mm.sportsmedia.com download the full list of one, two, five, uh, 125 and find out where Bellingham ranks um, and some of those other um, younger footballers coming through 
But I think, yeah, based on current performances, those two names you mentioned, Harlan and, and Bellingham, I think looking ahead to next year will likely rise. Um, you know, they're, they're on that growth trajectory. They've clearly got momentum behind them. They've got the biggest platforms and um, commercial beasts behind them in Real Madrid and the Premier League and Manchester City. So they've got all of the makings of super marketable stars moving forward. Um, but ultimately they can't can't really just rely on their on-field exploits to kind of make them marketable. I think as our as our model suggests and how we built it, um, when we determine um, athlete marketability, there are so many other dimensions of the modern day athlete that are required to be kind of truly, truly globally marketable. And so I think those multi-hyphenates uh, will really fare better um, next year and in, in future years. So anytime they can bring those additional feathers to their cap and and you know, whether it's speaking out on causes, whether it's getting involved in, you know, becoming more of an investor or a media personality or just, you know, being more um, courting of the limelight, you know, things like that are going to gonna support them, uh, support their, or boost their levels of, of marketability moving forward. So, yeah, always interesting to see what, you know, what next year might throw up. Um, we can guess now, but um, I think if we run the same model in 12 months time, it's going to be very interesting to see where the numbers fall. No, I, I agree. I, I think Harlan's probably one of the most interesting ones for me just as a fan of his myself and he's worked we've worked with him through um through our platforms of football co and he's he's just got a very a very fun personality it's like comparing what he does with some of maybe the younger the younger footballers do now they just seem to be much more of a like a of try not to coin a phrase but let's see if it happens much more of kind of a tiktok footballer compared to maybe the likes of ronaldo who seems to be more suited to to, to instagram obviously shown by his following that seems a lot more kind of promotional, whereas Haaland and his contemporaries, your Sackers, et cetera, just seem to be more of a more entertaining on social media and kind of growing their brands those ways. It'd be uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of see what kind of impact that has. Yeah, absolutely. You've seen some of the deals Haaland signed, you know, to sign in with Prime. That's a that's a great fit, you know, you know, for that that brand. And uh, yeah, I'm sure they there he there'll be other brands courting him right now and his his management team. Um just depends on um, where he chooses to take it and how he choose, chooses to develop his his brand over over the coming years. Um, but yeah, as you say, really compelling, uh, you, you know, star uh, as is Bellingham. You know, really interesting, huge amount of interest around them. Um, great personality. So yeah, they're kind of they're certainly at the forefront of the next generation. I mean, it's um it's been fascinating talking to you. It's an interesting list as well. You mentioned the website. Do you want to give it one more plug as well? Just go. Anybody misses out? I mean, there's also there's more on there, isn't there? There's not just the 50. You've then got the longer list to download. There's analysis on why they're there, what's coming, in-depth features. Yeah, so it's kind of it's, it's um, you know it's a bit of a content hub for everything you know athlete marketability that we that we produce. You know, the the, the top 50 list is the is the, the kind of big piece. But as you say, you can download a full 125 uh, athletes. Uh, from there, you can get a, a better understanding. Certainly, better than I've hopefully, uh, yeah, I've tried to explain it on this uh, on this show. But a better understanding of the methodology and the model used, and there's a load of content, feature content on there as well. You know, we we're doing a deep dive into Brand Messi and hearing from some of those who have worked with him, both at Barcelona and um, some of the brands he's worked with, um, as well as other athletes who are, you know, have become investors and media personalities and activists and ad- advocates and things and just and talking about some of those other trends that really this list speaks to. So yeah, 50mm.sportspromedia.com for any, any of your listeners, please do go there um, and let us know what you think. Great. Well, thanks for coming on, Michael. I'm sure you've got loads more stuff to work on on next year's list to start probably in the near distant future. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me and uh, 
Hope it was an interesting discussion. If you want more of this, check out the Football Co. Business Podcast archives wherever you get your podcasts. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football.